from CSG Studios high above the streets of beautiful Denver, Colorado. You're listening to the Colorado Sports Guys. They talk about sports and stuff. And now your hosts, Jeff Morton, Ross Martin, and Nate Timmons. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the podcast. Back after a long time off, a very long time. Ross, Hipster's Glasses, Martin, out on assignment. We've got him in Atlanta. He's going to cover this Warriors game for us. Or he's in Golden State. I don't know. Maybe we sent him <laughs> to the wrong city. Uh, with me, as always, the king himself, making his way down here from Thornton, Jeff Morton. What's up, everybody? Nice to be back after the long, long, long delay. The long delay. And also joining us from DenverStiffs.com and from Denver as well, Andrew Feinstein. <laughs> Guys, thanks for having me on. I'm not quite sure why you haven't been on the air for or, or podcasting for a while. Did you did you rest your starters? We did. We've been resting the starters. That is exactly what we've been doing. We put out the Z unit on the floor, and right. hopefully, I thought we were, we were the Z unit. <laughs> we, yeah, we managed to squeak out some games. So yeah, we were pretty proud with our performance. We got a few out there, but uh, how have you guys been doing overall? Oh, good, good. Uh, Andy's the one who hasn't been on for a while, so we need to find out how Andy's doing. Uh, I've been doing great, uh, overwhelmed as always. Uh, for the uninitiated listeners, uh, I'm involved in a small nightclub operation here in Denver called Tracks, and mm-hmm. we have our uh, grand reopening this Saturday. Oh, so yeah. we've been we've been scrambling here in Northeast Denver to get ready for Saturday night, but uh, we are excited. And one of the Pussycat Dolls will be performing live. So one of the Pussycat Dolls. So, I thought they were uh, all dead. Uh, <laughs> still no. around. <laughs> <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Are they still together as a band? Or no, they no, they're not. The woman that will be performing here, her name is Jessica Sutta. She's an international pop sensation, and we are ecstatic to have her. So. I actually saw that you tweeted out, so I checked her Twitter out, and she is attractive. She is attractive. I have to say. <laughs> she, is she, uh, you know what? I, I, I feel bad because I actually haven't looked at her. I'm, I'm going to be at this event with Mr. Feinstein here, and I have, not, I have yet to even really fully understand who I'm seeing, so... Well, it's gonna be a fun night, and uh, if I show up, can I get an introduction? I, I'll work on it. Okay, and uh, you, him, yeah. him, exactly. You. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good to me. Uh, like so, anything else going on within the world of uh, Andy Feinstein? Uh, well, we've had an, in- an interesting week, obviously. Um, and uh, should we talk about the elephant in the room and and just get it out of the way? Call it Stiffgate 2015. <laughs> Stiffgate Stiff 2015. Yeah. So everybody for, has a gate. We need yeah. our own gate. Yeah, this is our first gate, I think. Actually, so for well, I think we've had a few, Jeff. You and I have been involved in that's a few, true. Um, <laughs> may, misreporting things, but um, <clears throat> what happened was is on. Uh, let me just give a quick background. Uh, for the for the few readers that maybe missed this, but on Monday evening at Jake's Food and Spirits, which is a restaurant that I, I am a co-owner of, but we also do our podcast there. We do our Stiffs Night out there. Uh, the three of us, as well as other writers of Denver Stiffs and our moderators who work very hard to moderate our comments, and a few select season ticket holders had a private discussion with uh, Nuggets owner and president Josh Kroenke and general manager Tim Connolly. And it was meant to be, and it was, an off-the-record conversation and, uh, you know, I'll, I'll take the blame for this. I posted some photos about it, and I, I'll, I'll get to why I did that in a moment. But um, it sparked a little bit of an outcry among our, our readers. And what I want to just say to our readers, first and foremost, is, you know, our readers at Denver Stiffs are the lifeblood of Denver Stiffs. Yeah. Uh, there is no Denver Stiffs without our readers. There is no Denver Stiffs without our commenters. I mean, you guys and gals are the reason why we essentially work for free. Um, you guys are the ones that make it all worth it. I mean, you guys are the reason why, you know, on a Sunday night at 2 a.m. when I realize I haven't done my Sunday column yet, (laughs) I stay up till 3 to squeeze out an article. I know you guys do the exact same thing. That's why Nate 
you know, uh, misses shifts at work to be in the locker room at Pepsi Center. It's why yes. Jeff misses the meetings to to uh, uh, you know catch a game and cover it. So you know, I hope that the readers here understand that we take this. Um, I don't know if you want to call it a contract, but this relationship between us and our readers a sacred bond, a sacred bond, very seriously. And you know, just to be clear. You know, I'm not crying poverty here, but we don't get paid for this. No. Uh, SB Nation gives us a very minuscule stipend. Stipend. And if anyone knew what that stipend was, it's laughable. And it doesn't even cover the cost of a couple of cheeseburgers. You would demand <laughs> that we get a raise yeah. if you saw um, you got paid. So, but again, we do, this at the, we do this at the pleasure of the reader. And while I don't necessarily agree with some of the outrage, I understand it. And I want to apologize for it. The intention of this meeting was that Josh Kroenke himself, the president of the Denver Nuggets, the owner of the Denver Nuggets, reached out to us and said, I want to engage uh, just your writers, uh, your people who work for Denver Stiffs, and a few select season ticket holders because I need feedback. You know, I want to know what we're doing. I want to know what we need to do better. And it can be, as long as it's off the record, no question is unfair. And I think the fact that Josh was willing to do that in my opinion, showed a lot of class. And um, I don't know how many owners take the time to sit down with, you know, the local bloggers and season ticket holders and actually do that. And I think people need to understand, Josh is only in his mid-30s. He still thinks like a fan. And that doesn't mean he makes good decisions, and we don't have to... We'll get to that in a minute, whether or not he's a good owner. But at least he thinks like a fan. And um, I felt like it was important to show our readers that we had the meeting because I think it shows how far Denver Stiffs has come. Yeah. And it shows that the organization pays attention to us. And if that backfired, I apologize. But that was the intent behind it, and I hope we can move on. We, we talked, too, about a large part of the discussion was why was it off the record? Why can't you guys talk about what was discussed? And my whole thing is it'd be secondhand information. You know, I mean, yeah. we, wouldn't accurate, we wouldn't be able to accurately represent what – you know, Josh and Tim talked about, but again, they're not allowed to share a lot of stuff because A, they shouldn't, you know, they shouldn't tell us what their plan is. B, they can't talk about some things, draft picks, you know, roster moves, things and they of that didn't, nature. And they really didn't. Right. Yeah. I mean, they can't, they can't talk about that stuff, so they didn't. And, you know, that's, that's why I was saying, you know, nothing was like earth shattering, but it was nice to get, have them be there and, and take the temperature of, of, of our site. And, you know, something I, I think that we can all agree on is, Nothing like that. I mean, we've been, we've had credentials for three years now. There's nothing that can be said to me that's going to change what I'm going to write anytime I sit down at my computer and hammer something out. And I want to make just one more point, Nate, that you and I talked about earlier. You know, Josh Kroenke and Masai Ujiri have been to a Stiffs Night Out. Tim Connolly has been to a Stiffs Night Out. You know, they, they've shown in the past that they want to engage with the fans on a more of a public basis, and I think we can do that again in the future. Um, you know, this was an opportunity for other members of the Denver Stiffs crew uh, who never get this level of access and who work countless hours to contribute to the site with no reward other than, you know, the admiration of our readers, which we take incredibly seriously, give them a unique opportunity to have a little bit of access. So I thought that was great, too. Well, this is the thing. We, as I I pointed out on the site, Nate Timmons and myself have met with um, various times, Josh, Less frequently, but you know, and then we got Tim Connolly, who we've, we've talked to more frequently. And we, we see him at we, Pepsi Center. We see him at shower. Pepsi Center. I mean, it, it's not you know, when I say quote unquote personally, I don't mean like I'm going out and meeting Tim Connolly like for golf or anything like that. Guys, will go lucky strike. <clears> yeah, we don't. Yeah, we don't. You know, 
share a pillow or anything like that. But it's it is a it is more of a you get to talk to these people all the time, and all these conversations, regardless, are not quote unquote on the record unless it's stated. And but we don't advertise that. And this was an opportunity for readers, uh, uh, not readers, but I say our writers and people who worked hard on the site to get to experience a meeting the owner, as as Andy said, and president. Oh, yes, that's right. The president. <laughs> that's right. And uh, we, uh, the the president decided to. I, I, I hate saying the president because I think I'm talking about Obama. Um, He'd probably show up before it's Josh, I should say, gave us the you know the opportunity at their request to do this. Now maybe the maybe the photo was ill conceived, but the, the spirit was there, the heart was there, and that's all we intended. Really, all we intended with this was to get people but, who hadn't done, done this to communicate with the president. But to our readers' credit, I think we should segue into something else here. You know, it sparked a debate. That's what Denver Stiffs is all about. Jeff and I and Nate and I forged a friendship and yeah. a lifelong partnership on this out of debate. No. <laughs> Jeff, yeah. and, I, Jeff no. and I don't agree on anything. No, and we're not going to no. here in a couple no. minutes. Yeah. Um, but, um, <laughs> but it's also given us a little bit of soul searching. You know, why do we do this? And what, is, what are we trying to accomplish? And I don't think the three of us have necessarily the same goals, but the nice thing is is the three of us, our oars are always rowing in the same direction. We just have different uh, roles on the ship, so to speak. So well, maybe we should talk about that real quick because I think that's opened up kind of some soul-searching for us. Maybe, maybe we should put it this way, guys. We are the 2006 to 2010 <laughs> Nuggets front office without the dysfunction. So we are all, and as Andy adequately said, I don't want to be working team. <laughs> you know that was the worst thing I ever seen. <laughs> um, they young, young Andrew. Do you know how many coaches of the year get fired after the season's over? You know what a pain it is to deal with Barrett. <laughs> anyway, um, they. What, we are functional. We 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 more than functional. We've forged a, a direction based on roles that we've carved out. And Andy, I would specifically like you to talk about how what you we you have done, what your role has evolved to on Denver Stiffs. And well, Nate and I will kind of go from there. So just kind of d- essay what you feel your role is now. Well, um, I wrote actually I wrote a piece that for Deadspin uh, years ago, yeah. and I wrote that I'm you know bloggers. I just don't like the word blogger. So I've yeah. always wrote that I'm a fan advocate. And unlike most, uh, most writer, actually, unlike all the writers of our blog, I think, with maybe a few exceptions, I can guarantee you almost unlike most sports bloggers in the country, and I can also guarantee you unlike any sports writer in the country, I write, I write a check for season tickets. Yeah. I actually plunk down my hard-earned dollars for season tickets. I spend thousands of dollars a year on tickets, and, and it's because I absolutely love the product. I love the NBA. Yeah. And I'm a fan first and foremost, but I'm a fan advocate. If the, if the owner... The general manager, the coach, and the players don't care more about the outcome than I do. That's when I stop buying tickets, and that's where the whole mantra of Denver Stiffs came from. If you read my very first piece when the site was called Denver Stiffs, and Nate and I used to do the stiff list, which I think we need to bring back more consistently, but the whole point of the stiff list was if you don't care more than I do, you're ending up on the stiff list. And um, I think that the organization, to their credit, has taken that fan advocacy very, very seriously. But with fan advocacy comes the fact that I'm not, nor am I pretending to be a journalist. 
And so for me, I don't really give a shit what's on the record and what's off the record because I'm not going to break. I'm not here to break news stories. You want to read a you want to read a breaking story? Go to Yahoo Sports and read Adrian Wojnarowski. That's not me. Uh, I'm here to opine on the events of the day. Or re, I'm sorry, I should better example. Go read Nate Timmons, you know, and read what he what he what he writes when he actually meets with a player and gets firsthand accounts. Mm. I'm here to opine on the information that is available to me as a fan, and. That's, that's, that's all there is to it. I am a fan advocate, and I write on behalf of the fan, and that's why I wrote two weeks ago, which I'm taking some hell for from cir- some circles, that the Nuggets should have fired Brian Shaw. Because when you're, when you're spending, as I do, thousands of dollars on tickets, you cannot, you cannot support a product that's getting slaughtered every night and not caring. You know, And I know it hurts us in the long run, potentially, with a lottery pick and whatever, and we can get into the nuances of that, but... I believe that you as a business owner have an obligation to your customer, which I am one of, yeah. to put the best product possible on the, on the floor. So I'll, with that said, I'll turn it over to you guys. <laughs> well, Nate, you want to? Go ahead, man. You go. <laughs> Nate's, Nate's relaxed. <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> I came to, as everyone knows, I came to this starting as someone who just commented. A on, lot. On, a lot. On I actually believe it or not, well, most people maybe not know this. I, I I commented on Andy's FireGeorgeCarl dot com site, and I commented on Pickaxe and Roll. I had two different different. He was two timing us. I was yeah, and uh, <laughs> uh, then when it came together, I just became a commenter on the site, and very quickly I became a writer because you know I my frequent disagreements with uh, with Mister Mister Feinstein here, and that was five years ago. And through that time, we've all developed into different things that we do. One of the things that I do with my credentials is I've, I try to give people video access. This is what I've involved into, video access into more than just the, the, the Denver Nuggets video that you see, the, the altitude feed that they give you there or something like that. I, my, my, I feel that my job is to give you it's a different kind of offbeat, kind of off-color look inside the, the Nuggets which not technically journalism is borderline there. And because I'm a credentialed reporter, quote unquote, I can't, I can't violate confidences when it's uh, something is off the record. I, as, as, as someone who takes that seriously, I can't do that. But I think that within that kind of framework, I can do the best I can for the blog. And I hope that what I bring makes people gives people a different angle on on things. I mean, I wanted to be more than just the gay guy who wrote for Denver Stiffs, <laughs> you know. And and I I think hopefully I've managed to carve out that carve out that niche, if you will. Well, even though you're always wrong, we uh, enjoy <laughs> having you on board. Some would say, some would say, but uh, Nathan. Yeah, I, I just like writing, man. I've always liked writing. I I can go back. I went through uh, some of my stuff recently, like, I don't know, six months ago, and I found, like, a, a sports newsletter that I had created in, like, middle school that was about Ken Griffey Jr. and some other stuff, and it was like, what was wrong with me? Like, I, was, just, Gr- I, was Griffey still with the uh, Mariners? Though? Yeah, he was still a Mariner. I think oh, he was wow. still in his prime, and it was... Old man. You know, it was just always something I've liked doing. I've always liked writing. And I, I remember when my buddies had pointed out Pickaxe and Roll to me. It was right after Jeremy Wagner had left to go to ESPN. And, you know, I submitted something to the guy that wrote Bloggable at the time, Matt. You know, kind of, I sent him some writing samples. I wrote for my college paper. So I always liked writing. And I thought, 
I don't know. I don't know how I grew so psychotic about the Nuggets. I think it was just in college watching like Skidichvili and Nene. Like me and my buddy would watch all these bad games, and people were like, "Why are you guys watching these games? Like, why don't you come party and hang out?" You know, and we're like, "Well, we will in about a half hour when this game's over." They're like, well, the Nuggets are down thirty points. Whatever, you know. We just, I just liked watching the team, and it was kind of a nice way to just be able to write and still follow the Nuggets, and it evolved into something crazy where. You know, now we have these readers that I almost feel like obligated to. Like, if I'm not writing, I feel like I'm doing them a disservice because, you know, I owe it to them to keep going. So it's it's something that's fun for me, and I've loved the fact that I've gotten to, you know, kind of fulfill a dream and a passion of getting to get into the locker room and, and write some actual real stories, yeah. write some offbeat stuff. I, I still love the the I love my tattoos piece I did with Wilson Chandler, probably my favorite one. Um, I just, I just like doing it, man. I just, it's fun to do. It's fun to figure out when people are saying, I remember the other night, somebody was talking about, uh, traded player exceptions. You know, I think Andy mentioned something about well, how do those work or something. And I'm like, well, you know, mm-hmm. read my article I wrote about it. That's like, you know, 2000 words on traded player exceptions. Like, you know, you kind of become an expert on some things, salary cap related, some things player related, you know, it, it's just, it's just fun to do. And that's really why I like doing it. And I think something that we all like doing that, I don't know how many other blogs do it, but I mean, the Denver Post is, isn't really doing it. Altitude does it. They have their meetups where they have fans come down to, you know, Chopper's Bar or whatever. But do, getting to do our Stiffs Night Out, getting to meet people that are as passionate about the Nuggets as we are, mm-hmm. I don't have any friends that even watch the Nuggets. You know, maybe one or two will, will tune into some games here and there. My buddy Rich, Rory, they'll watch it. We're your friends. I know. And, then, <laughs> and then it's, that's where it's developed into like the Denver Stiffs family aspect of it, Basically, you know, yeah, is, yeah. you know, we probably keep Andy up at night and he's probably having to turn his phone off because we're seeing the screen flashing because we're texting about some ludicrous trade that we've come up with or some ha- you know some wise-ass theory that we think is going to go down. So. I don't feel bad for Andy. I feel bad for Amy if she sees it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But it's just, it's just it's something that's really evolved and I feel lucky that we have, you know, we have basically you know, seven, eight, nine, ten other eleven, twelve guys that, that help us out and write this site where it was just it was just me, and then it was me and Andy, and then it was the three of us, and then it was us three and Colin, you know, and it's now it's blown up to where we have, you know, almost we have a whole freaking staff of people and it's I think it's pretty amazing. I love it. Well, it's it's one of those things that I hope people appreciate. I I, I put it to you this way. I hope that what we do out there is translating well. I hope that what we're doing out there is reaching people to the point where they are pleased with the coverage they get and also the fan aspect that Andy was talking about. That's what I that's my hope. And Do I know, look forward to Mondays when Andy writes a column. Andy writes a column. I never know what it's going to be and I know it's going to be well researched. Oh, absolutely. And it's going to be controversial, you know. That's I, the best I, part. I I like reading, you know, we Andy's the only one, actually. But you know, you say you're not consistent. You're they're more more consistent than I've been this year. So I mean, I used to do a column every Wednesday, and of course, yeah. What happened to happen. Weekly Optimism? We, I loved Weekly Optimism. Oh God, Weekly Optimism was chased by was replaced by Daily Cynicism. Jeff like <laughs> Jeff loves to create a uh, an angle. Yes, follow through with it once or twice, and then create something new, like a new angle. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always working on an angle, man. He's always working on an angle. But, you know, we all – I mean, Nate is basically – he went to – you know, you did go to school for journalism. I tried, and, yeah. And you – got like a 3-0, I think. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, you did do that. So of the three of us, I think both Nandy and I will admit, freely admit that uh, you're the more – 
I don't want to use the word professional, I guess. Of the well, but we all adhere to journalistic principles. I mean, my mm-hmm. background being just, you know, I was, I was actually, I wrote for the school paper, like I'm sure yeah. we all did, but I was a nationally syndicated cartoonist. Yes, you were. And when you're, when you're a nationally syndicated cartoonist, you are physically in print. You are in newspapers. And there are rules. There are libel rules um, that you have to uh, abide by. And, uh, you know, we talk, I remember, you know, we talk all the time about, and I, I appreciate you mentioning that myself. I don't know how well, re- how well researched it is, but I will never write anything that I can't link to. Yeah. And I'm very careful to wor- use words like allegedly, supposedly, because you got to be very careful. I mean, once you hit that publish button, it's out there. And if you can't cover your tracks, you look like an asshole. And then you've done your readers a disservice. So, mm-hmm. um, but uh, speaking of doing the fans a disservice, mm-hmm. uh, a huge controversy the last few days, from, uh, and it was funny because it was, it was happening <laughs> while we were at Stiffgate, um, was this whole concept of resting starters. And, it, and, and this leaked into the media throughout the week, um, and uh, the argument that has been made... But they've been um, doing it for... Well, let's talk about it. I mean, the argument that was games. made by my friend Nate Crackman when I did his show yesterday is this kind of flies in the face of what the Nuggets had been doing the last two weeks, which is now all of a sudden the Nuggets are about winning, and if you're resting players, now all of a sudden you're not about winning. So um, what say you guys, and what's your take on this uh, I mean, they, rest gate? So they beat, they beat the Warriors without Ty Lawson, who had an illness, but he played 40-some minutes like a night later, so how ill was he? Uh, you know, Darrell Arthur didn't play in that same Warriors game. The next game against the Pelicans, they didn't have, was it Wilson Chandler, Drell Arthur? Or Randy Foy. And Randy Foy, they, they beat them. And then the big news came when they rested Fareed Gallo and Ty because Chris Dempsey tweeted it, and somebody had told Chris Dempsey that the players and coaches didn't agree with it. And that's where it all came from. Do I care that it's happening? No, I really don't care because from my perspective, management already had to step in once to remove a coach that the players weren't going to play for. So they're having to step in again now, and it's like, well, you know, you guys made your own bed. you got to lay in it to some degree, and management's going to have some some dictations to you. But they've also had a plan in place to rest players for a long time. Conley's been talking about it for months. Yeah. At some point, they were going to have to look at who they were and make some tough decisions about how they were going to play. Well, I, it, I think it's one thing to fire the coach and another thing to, um, let me put it to you this way, Wilson Chandler was right, and they were being set up to fail. How about Wilson coming out that, yeah. that quote, Wilson too. Chandler says, you know, we were, they were said management setting us up to fail. And you know what? You can make an argument that, in specifically in resting Ty Lawson, that maybe they were. And You could say, too, that Chandler really only speaks up when he really won't, like, has something to say. And, I think everybody knows and that. And this, this is my position. I could give a shit about a draft pick. The Nuggets are between five and ten. Six and one, half dozen the other. I don't give a shit. And they could not lose enough to get to the four spot, even if they kept Brian Shaw. Um, they won six games and lost three. The fans were reengaged. Everyone was getting really positive about the Nuggets again. And then they see this crap, and they're like, start hating the nuggets again and that's my problem and it's like if the i mean listen if if dempsey doesn't tweet that out no one cares right but i'm it not got, sure about that there's a simmering of nuggets fans out there that care i just don't think anyone you know 
<clears throat> that was laying beneath the surface. I think Dempsey's tweet or whatever unearthed what was simmering beneath the surface. Although I think that most Nuggets fans, I shouldn't give myself this much credit, most Nuggets fans I think are in my camp and that they want the team to play really hard and they want the team to change their culture but lose anyway. Yeah. And so to me, the Memphis game was actually okay because it was everything I wanted. It was developing young players, resting Gallo, so, you know, God forbid he gets hurt again. Yeah. So it was resting young players. I'm well, sorry, it was, resting, it was resting the injury-prone guys. It was showcasing the young guys. Kind of, but put J. J. Forth a great J.J. Hickson played a lot well, more true, than Joffrey. But put, put forth a great effort and lost anyway. Well, this is, this is the thing. Um, those Nuggets, the 92, you, like the 92-93 Nuggets team that you've brought up before. My favorite teams of all one of my fa- One of my favorite Nuggets teams as well. There was two buzzer-beater shots by uh, Chris Jackson that year. Uh, one of them was at half court to beat the Clippers, who were actually a good team that year. When the one year in the '90s, they were good, and you know it was it's it's, but they weren't resting players to. That's a different thing. They weren't specifically resting players that will help you win in those games, and that's that's the that's the crux of the issue that I have here. Is is like I understand resting Gallo, I understand even resting Fareed, who has been having legitimate shoulder problems. Um, for the last couple couple weeks, um, the Ty Lawson thing was a little less understandable. Do you guys think that? <laughs> do you guys think that Melvin Hunt cares about going? Let's say I don't know how many games they even have left. Do, would he care about going twenty and three versus twelve and twelve? I think so. I mean, and I mentioned this <clears throat> yesterday as well. When an organization mandates resting players, they are immediately at cross purposes with their head coach. It is immediately unfair to the head coach because, as George Carl taught us, experiments get coaches fa- fired. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Melvin uh, deserves an opportunity to showcase what he's got as a head coach. And you just can't showcase it when your cupboard is bare. No, that's true. And then, but, you know, to his credit and to the Nuggets' credit, they fought really hard in that Memphis game. Well, it showed, it showed me more about Melvin and the players, I mean, that was a fourth-quarter game when it shouldn't have been. You're, yep, missing, right. you're missing three starters, and you're still in there against you know, maybe what turns out to be the second or third or fourth best team in the Western Conference. Maybe the Western Conference's finals representative. Maybe they come yeah. out. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's pretty incredible. And it, it, it says to me, too, you know, is Melvin going to get a fair shake to be the head coach of this team? Do they care about wins and losses, or do they care about what they're seeing, like what they saw in that Pelicans game? You know, do they care about the plays they saw out of timeouts? Do they care about the style they're running? How seriously is Melvin going to be considered? Because, as I said on radio today, I think it would be a colossal mistake not to give him very serious consideration. There is a there is a uh, Danilo Gallinari had an interview that came out today in La Gazzetta della Sport. Why does he uh, talk to the Italians more <laughs> to us? Because <laughs> because every European does that. They talk to their home paper because they're comfortable with them. You know. And they get to say stuff there that, you know, maybe eventually filters back to the team. But thankfully, there wasn't anything controversial in this particular interview. But he did say that an interesting aspect of this, and this points back to Brian Shaw, is that after he said in that interview, after he spoke to Shaw, he didn't really have any issues with him anymore. And they communicated and he basically was like, I'm a guy that puts his head down and does his work. And he basically implied there that the, the issues on the Nuggets, quote-unquote, were only a handful of players. 
And a handful of players is half of an NBA team. No, but like, we're, <laughs> we're, we're, but listen, look at it this way: the trade deadline it's like before percent of the team. Yeah, yeah. But the trade deadline and before the trade deadline, they got rid of five players. You know, four players, and and it, how much problems are you having anymore? You know, and I can't imagine Alonzo G was a locker room menace. No. No, but uh, I can think of two that yeah. did leave that were. <laughs> yes. And so, I mean, and then third, that wasn't happy. So, obviously, they're, they're, they were pared down their lot. But I think there's this kind of this unfair propag- I said propagation is the best way to put it, of, of labeling all the players as players, like revolting against the coach and getting their just desserts now when they turned over a significant portion of the lo- of the locker room and it's like how often are you going to keep coming back to this in that scenario because and at this point it seems almost like you're punishing the players for other other players problems and that's what bothers me you know and it's like why should these guys play less hard so they can possibly get someone to replace them in the draft yeah I mean, I, seriously, why should they do that? Why are you expecting them to lose? You know? So, I mean, that's the crossroads that they're at. You know, it's like, do you, are you okay? Well, you need to play less hard today because we want to draft higher to get someone we think is better than well, you. Well, I've always, I've always, you know, you look at, you look that's at, true. you look at uh, Philadelphia and, um, you can never ask a coach to lose a game. Those are the most, those are the 30, regardless of what you may think of Brian Shaw, um, those are, when he was a coach, uh, he was among the 30th, 30 most competitive basketball coaches in the world. Okay. Um, those kids that play basketball for a living. Um, yeah, there's always a few exceptions where basketball just happens to be their job. So they don't really give a shit, but the average NBA player really gives a shit. I mean, these are hyper competitive guys. They don't get to that level without that competitive streak. And organizations cannot ask coaches and players to tank games, but organizations can do, is ro- back to the cupboard bear, right? They can destroy the roster. They can force rest on coaches. They can do things like that and then hope a loss comes out of it. But they can't force a team to play poorly, as you just said, or, or not give a full effort. I mean, Philadelphia actually plays really hard. And they, re- they remind me a lot of the Jeff Buzdelic Nuggets. They just don't have any assets. Well, let's, <laughs> let's face it. They're depending on Joel Embiid to get become a player and... Uh, that's still a question, you know. That's what that's what the risk of hyper tanking. Like, well, look doing. at their gamble and look yeah. at their gamble. They missed out on Jabari Parker and Andrew Wiggins, the only two sure things last year. Yep. Now Embiid might turn out to be great, but they missed out. They missed out. They and, missed out. And that was the like the nineties Nuggets. Yeah. They also might get two top ten picks this year, so that could yeah, be maybe yeah. if the Lakers. <laughs> if the Lakers and, and in a, in a draft that's, I mean, can you really point to a game changer in this draft? Yes, you don't even study the drafts. How can you even talk about this? Actually, <laughs> I, I, I don't, but I mean, it's like I, everyone I talk no, to, every, everyone Okafor, you talk to about it, it's you like got, you got Okafor, eh, maybe, but Okafor doesn't play any defense. Carl Anthony Towns, Moutier, Russell. I mean, there's some, there's some players. There's people who like Russell, but it, it's like there's nothing. But that, that's the thing. Like, that's like, Jeff's right. There's not a certain guy that you, there's not a LeBron James. There's not a surefire thing that's going to be like. So to Jeff's point too, you know, whether you're drafting fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, or ninth, or tenth. You know, you might be able to get the best player in the draft that w- with one of those selections. You just don't know who it's going to be for another three or four years. You know, and so does it really matter what they're doing? No, you just got to hope to God that Tim Conley really knows what he's doing and that his scouting department finds the guy that can be, you know, potentially a franchise well, difference maker. See, see you're, you're, you're wrong in one aspect, Nate. 
since I have studied the draft, as you know, <laughs> I have been following the exploits of Mario Hazonia in the draft, <laughs> primarily true. because he looks like Dave Franco. Oh. So, but then I started studying him, and I'm like, hey, this guy actually can play. And I, that, was, that was a revelation to me. But I have t- taken a look. I've actually, you know, I t- tried to force myself because people are so draft-obsessed. Well, that's going to be the guy. I, I've, try, I've tried to, yeah, probably. That's going to be the guy that that people point to that Denver's going to want just because he's a foreign guy. And he's a foreign like, guy, and then the, the only nuggets, guy that they're going to take now. He's, he's set out a pattern. Okay, here's a question for the both of you on the roster: Who are you keeping of the Nuggets' current roster? If you were, if you, uh, general manager Andy Feinstein, what what are you going to do going forward? Uh, you keep Gallinari. Okay, I say you keep Fareed. Um, I think if you can, you keep Wilson. Uh, I think Ty Lawson, uh, you know, it's time to go. I think it's time to go. I think at some point you are what you are. What is he? Seven years in now? Seven years. And I don't see uh, the maturation process that is required. It's unfortunate. The point guard position is so deep in the NBA that I think the, the, the pool of takers for him is pretty shallow. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you move Ty Lawson because, I mean, look, at the end of the day, he's a 17-10 guy. There aren't that many of them out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, obviously you keep Nurkic. Yeah. You keep Harris. Um, you keep Laverne. I like Laverne yeah. a lot. But I think uh, I, I could live in a world without J.J. Hickson, Darrell Arthur, Ty Lawson, uh, uh, Randy Foy even. Uh, Jameer Nelson, I think, is a throw-in in a deal. Um, I, I could live without all those guys. What do you think, Nate? Pretty similar lines of thinking, too. Uh, you know, depending on what they do offensively, you know, Ty's a fringe all-star player. You know, he's probably never going to make it, but he is that good. But you'd have to have somebody, as we've seen, when you make it Ty Lawson's team, as Brian Shaw tried to do, and as, you know, I don't think George really ever did. But under Brian Shaw, they tried to make it Ty's team, and he failed. So you either have to bring in somebody that can motivate Ty and keep him focused on basketball, or you got to move him. And depending on the offense you want to run, I mean, Ty's a perfect guy to run what Melvin Hunt looks like he may want to do. But you can also find a guy that's going to be able, you know, if you're going to run Hunt's offense, it's maybe going to be predicated on ball movement and player movement. You may not need a guy like Ty that can break down defenses all the time. Or you might be able to find another one, you know, somewhere else where you're not looking right now. So uh, I'm kind of in agreement with Andy. I, I think, you know, I, I might... I wrote about it. I said Jameer could be a stopgap guy if you draft a point guard, have him play, you know, a year or two under Nelson and then turn it over, you know. So uh, I think I'd like to see some more changes. But, again, if we're going to talk about roster moves too, I'd like to talk about the coach as well. We can get to that, Jeff, after you tell us about your roster. Basically what you guys said. I mean, to be honest with you, I think everyone sees the same thing, right? I think what we're saying here is everyone sees the same thing about the Denver Nuggets. They see Ty Lawson is out the door. Um, it sucks because he was supposed to be like the nugget for life. He guy. was, he was but the candidate. He he was, but you know, obviously the problems that Ty had had never changed. And he's twenty. What? How old is he now? Twenty. I'm guessing twenty seven. Twenty six. Yeah, twenty seven. So since he's that old now, and he just literally has not shown any ability to be a leader, none, or take it take really much responsibility for his some of his actions then obviously that's not the guy that's going to take you forward. And I'm in complete agreement with agreeance. We're going to use that word a lot tonight. With both of you on that aspect. And our, our readers, too, they had a clip of Will Barton hitting that three. That Will, Will Barton, here's a keeper. Oh, keeper. Yeah. yeah. They had a clip of Will Barton hitting that three to send the game to overtime against New Orleans. 
And on the other side of the court, after he hit the three, Ty Lawson, zero reaction, and just started walking back towards the Nuggets bench. And it was like, was that just a, a random play, or is that the body language that we're seeing from Ty? And I don't know. I, I wonder, too, how happy he is in Denver with you know, some of the things that have gone I, on. I will say this in Ty Lawson's defense, and this, unfortunately this applies to a lot of the Nuggets. If Ty Lawson's on the Miami Heat right now, they're probably the fifth best team in the Eastern Conference. Mm-hmm. If he's on the Dallas Mavericks right now instead of Rajon Rondo, they may be the third best team in the Western Conference. I mean, that's how good he is. The problem is if he's, to your point, Jeff, if he's your leader, yep. if he's your number one guy, uh, you're a 25-win team, and that's what the Nuggets are. See, Gallo is a great third banana, maybe a second banana on a team. The Nuggets don't have a the big kahuna you know they don't have the big guy that need that and that it's hard to find those guys to be quite honest, you, you know you could gamble on the There's draft 10 of them but, in the know. whole nba yeah you could gamble and on the draft are, but that's are, a gamble and two of them are on the thunder well the funny thing yeah, too is true. uh bill simmons had a podcast with ryan Rosilio, and they started talking about the nuggets a little bit and uh one thing that simmons got to talking about as usual is the celtics and he had the same point that i've kind of had with the nuggets over the past you know since carmelo was traded was they have the perfect team. They're just missing that one. You know, they have all the role players. Oh. They just don't have the star. But every, there's so many teams like that. The Celtics are now like that. So, you know, there's going to be teams. Obviously, they're going to be looking for that one piece uh, to you, add. You've got to hope that now in this situation, this is why I don't. I think people need to slow the roll on the draft. Is that the Nuggets could be in a good position to combine the draft pick with maybe Ty, maybe some other player as well to either a move up on the dra- in a draft or get a uh, upgrade in player and from from a team that was looking to trade because you never know you absolutely never know and and that's where i think it's like well yeah you you upgrade your ping pong chances to i don't know 5 okay um the fifth uh, say the nuggets don't they stick with their tradition and they don't vary from their position so they get the fifth pick in the draft. Well, trade the fifth pick, Ty Lawson, you know, maybe throw in another player for, say, DeMarcus Cousins. Mm-hmm. You know, who, yeah, they, if they can get, if they can catch George Carl uh, playing general manager, yes, uh, that could really be to our benefit. And if George and DeMarcus butt heads, I'd take him in a heartbeat. I think everyone would. And I don't care about all the bullshit that comes with DeMarcus Cousins. You, you average 23 and 12. Bring it on. You Can you know? play him at power forward next to you bet. Nurkic or Norkic? You bet. Depending on his name. <laughs> uh, but by the way, here's something we need to... What an odd couple that would be. Here's they would need their own reality show. But here's, you would have, like, you'd have that, you know, that Lakers team or, or maybe a Grizzlies team you know, where all of a sudden you have all this power down low and that's kind of how you build your team around them and... You know, Nurkic would be great playing off the. Uh, I don't know. That would be a good. See, that would be better than what Brian Shaw was trying to do in the rigid kind of system that he was trying to enforce. Now, then you would have the players. Now, here's that kind of what leads into that. Are there elements within the Nuggets organization that are still infatuated with running that slow it down, grind it out kind of style? I don't think so. I think uh, uh, not to pat ourselves on the back of Denver Stiffs, but we've been barking tradition, tradition, tradition. And in terms of Denver tradition, that means play fast, play mm-hmm. furious. And I, I don't think I'm speaking out of turn. Tim Connolly has said this to us. He has said this to a number of season ticket holders and engagement meetings and stuff. We're going to play fast. Yeah, uh, that's what Denver publicly. That's, yeah. yeah, that's what Denver basketball was built on. He said it and, before Brian Jones fired. To take a little bit of Jeff Morton cynicism <laughs> and apply it to my 
myself. You know, I don't see a championship parade on Spear Boulevard anytime soon. In the meantime, we might as well be fun to watch. Yeah. And you're not going to be fun to watch unless you play fast. And I don't care. That was the brilliance of George Carl. But even playing... And, and Doug Moe. And, sorry, real quick. That was the brilliance of George Carl, Doug Moe, and Larry Brown. I don't care how lack of talented your roster may be. All these guys that make it to this level want to play fast. Sorry, Nate. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, even in today's game, I mean, we have Warriors Hawks on right now. They play fast. You know, I yeah, mean, they do. That's that's how you can win basketball games. I don't care what guys like Ross Sharon say or they say you got to play half court. You got to you can play fast in the half court. Melvin Hunt's doing it right now. Mm-hmm. You know, there as much as guys want to talk about pace, all pace is is creating offensive possessions. It's as many offensive possessions as you get per one hundred. So even if you're shooting in the first ten seconds of the shot clock, you're going to be a fast paced team. Yeah, which the Nuggets can be. You know, seven seconds or less, ten, whatever, but. It's going to be interesting to see who they bring in as coach. You know, whether they go with Melvin, whether they go with a retread that I'm not very excited about. It was funny listening. Which to retread are you not excited about? Any of them. You know, it's speaking of one. one of your retreads that I think you're referring to is Mike D'Antoni, and you know he is a bullshit Amari Stoudemire suspension away from seven seconds or less being in the NBA Finals. I mean, that was what ten years ago, eight it's, years ago. It's been ten years. You're right. Yeah. And, but I mean, just my point though is at least it changes the conversation somewhat. Or would have ten years ago away. You would from, have had more people emulating the Suns right. then. Yeah. Well, although you know what, that's Caleb, what everybody does you know what? now. You guys, well, the, you guys, this, this is, game we're watching right now, Warriors Hawks. This may not be the sexiest matchup for the finals. I know the NBA is dying for LeBron to get to the finals, but these guys play fast. To Nate's point, and if these yeah. guys meet up in the NBA finals, it's a, posi- it's a positive for basketball. Those yeah. Suns teams were more more Steve Nash pick and roll, though. I mean, that was that was that was. That was a little different from, than what the, the, the Warriors and, and the Hawks are doing, which are dead-eye shooters, which I, I don't think that. we've seen shooters like this in, in, on, concentrated on one team in the NBA, NBA history. And we if you bring in Dan, Tony, you need a dominant point guard. He had it with Ray Felton. Ray Felton mm-hmm. was playing career basketball in New York. You know, he had it with, with Steve Nash. He didn't have it in L.A. He had Kobe. Uh, what what would he have in Denver if they if they don't keep Ty Lawson? You know, they then you're really kind of searching. But at the same time, when we're talking to you know, if you talk to Adam Rez, who's doing those incredible coaching pieces for us, you know, he'll tell you. You know, everybody, offensive coaches are, they'll tell you that every offensive team takes principles from Mike D'Antoni. The league has caught up to that. They're learning how to defend that. So it's not as drastic as it was when he was with the Suns. It's not as revolutionary. The curve's caught up to that. And, and you know, listen, I think what's going to hurt Melvin Hunt, and this is my own theory, I'm not basing this on anything, my own theory what's going to hurt Melvin Hunt is that he does, he is the last, other than some players on the roster, he is the last vestige of George Carl. And I think, honestly, that's going to, as much as I hate it, that's going to probably be a mark against him. And I, I kind of hate that. But I As I've been telling, I told Jeff this today, April 12th, when George is here at Pepsi Center, Mm. You know he's going to talk up Melvin Hunt, and he might do so just to throw it in the Nuggets' right, who face. Knew, who knew that would be the biggest game of the year? I can't wait. <laughs> I can't wait. I haven't seen George for like two years, and it's, it would be nice to to see him again. Just to, just to see yeah. George and talk. That's to him. that's one where I think I throw the press pass on. Right? Yes. Um, but isn't don't you think George yeah. is gonna, George is going to talk up Melvin? Well, he's going to talk him up because I, I, he I think the Nuggets. In him? Hey, I think the you know, I just want I did Sandy's show uh, yesterday, and Sandy basically is saying I've seen enough. Uh, 
you know, nine games into the Melvin Hunt era, give him the job. I've Sandy, seen enough. Sandy told us, told us that the last and home game. I think the Nuggets are going to be in a really tough spot. I think that Mel, you know, I, I, I'm, I hedged a little bit on Sandy's show. I said I'd like to see a few more games, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see a, more, a few more games. And if what we've seen after nine games, I think Melvin's going to have coached 23 games, I think. Uh, Brian Shaw, I think, coached 59 games, if yeah. I'm right. So Melvin will coach 23 games. You know, if Melvin can coach the way he's coached nine games 23 times uh, in a row or whatever, um, I think the Nuggets have a really hard time not giving him the job. Does his yeah. message, his positive message, him, you know, after games, Melvin, how was Ty? He only had three points and eight assists. Ty did exactly what we wanted him to do. He was great. He did this and that. Does that – is that going to wear out to players at some point? Is that going to wear out to people? Like, do you do you tune that out, this over-anxious, over-positive nature? Or can you can you be Steve Kerr? Steve Kerr's kind of in that, that same line. I don't know. I've heard Steve Kerr – I've heard nothing but good things about Steve Kerr. Just be very, very, very clear about that. Nothing but good things. But I've also heard that that boyish charm that you see on TV, there's a killer in there. Right. And I don't He's, know if that's the case with Melvin. And what I said to Sandy – was I mean they really hated Brian Shaw, oh, fair yeah. or not, and they really hated some of his assistant coaches, um, Lester Connor, may he rest in peace. <laughs> and uh, you know, uh, what happens when this euphoria run? To Nate's point, what happens when the euphoria of the Shaw firing finally subsides? And are they going to get sick of Melvin's? You know, Melvin coaches like he's a fan. I mean, I love watching him. Um, but is that sustainable? But I also wonder what it's like in, in practice. I haven't gotten to be at a practice yet where Melvin's there. We don't get to see all that I've much anyway. But you know, that's what I'm curious about because I know I know Melvin is he's overly competitive as well. I mean, he has that. And even even when I talked to Ty about Melvin, Ty said, you know, even when Melvin's upset with you, he can still come at you and motivate you. You know, from from that angle. So that's that's what's interesting to me. If you have a guy that the players will run through a wall for him. It's not really going to matter to me if he's an above-average coach. If players want to play hard for him, all you got to do is build talent around him. If you bring LeBron James in, you know you're going to be fine. You know Eric Spoelstra is not a complete. He's a genius, but he's not the best coach in the NBA when they won those couple titles in Miami. But to Eric Spoelstra's credit, before LeBron showed up, he won 47 games with Dwayne Wade and Michael fucking Beasley. And, <laughs> and, and that was what, I thought that was a great coaching performance. I actually thought that was Spolster's best coaching job that ever. That was probably his because best coaching it, job. It, yep. with, 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 with LeBron's heat, Spolster did what you're supposed to do, get to the finals. So long as you don't have Vinny Del Negro on your sideline. Oh, Lord. You know? But back to, you, Mel, back okay. to Melvin. But, back to Melvin. It reminds me a little bit of, it, it's a corny story that you see all the time, but Magic Johnson's rookie game as a Laker. Uh, Kareem hits a game-winning uh, hook shot against the uh, San Diego Clippers. And Magic went bonkers and jumped in Kareem's arms like they just won the championship. Okay, this is in 1979. And Kareem tells a cute story. He says to Magic, he says, hey, rookie, if you get this excited every single time something good happens, you're going to wear me out. And that's my only concern about Melvin. Is he going to wear these guys out by being overly positive, fist-pumping? Does he have more of a measured approach? Let me Let me... But you guys know him, by the way, Nate. You especially, you know Melvin. I do not know Melvin. Well, let me let me clue some people in on some some aspects of the Nuggets this year that maybe they weren't privy to. Um, I think I can tell the people now that Brian Shaw's been fired. Um, the practice, breaking news at Colorado Sports Guys. The, yeah, practices under Brian Shaw were relentlessly negative experiences. Um, the players they they didn't never the, the only aspects they 
practice that I saw that we were allowed to see was series of mid-range shots, really. And the sets they would run were predictable. They were a series of just dump-down things, and the players just weren't responding to them. Um, and they completely rejected Melvin Hunt. No, not Melvin Hunt. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to say Melvin Hunt. I like Melvin. Um, they completely rejected Lester Connor. And Lester Connor was the one who did most of the coaching. And Lester just made things worse on Brian Shaw. And I, some of the part of me thinks that if Lester wasn't there and if, if Brian Shaw was allowed to have better assistant coaches, he may have been a better coach. But his, one of his largest problems was Lester Connor. And the players possibly hated Lester more than they hated well, and I think that's where the young uh, owner, president, and Josh Kroenke, and the young general manager, and Tim Connolly, even though they've been around the game a lot, a long time, that's where they're going to learn. They're, they won't make this mistake twice. Yeah. Meaning, Melvin may get the job, but he's going to be surrounded by, whether it's his choice or not, uh, some savvy veteran coaches next to him. I mean, Steve Kerr's got, you know... Uh, former, Ron Adams and Alvin Gentry. Right, right. Yeah. He's got a former head coach and a, and a seasoned, seasoned veteran next to him. I mean, you've got... As a head coach, you've got to surround yourself um, with uh, with some savvy wisdom there, or you're just going to say. Well, and part two is Melvin wasn't allowed to do a lot of coaching. It was mostly Lester and um, Brian Shaw who took the leads from everything that I saw on in game day and in practice. And Melvin was part of the previous regime, and I think they treated him as such. I really do, and I think when Melvin became the assistant coach, what I noticed in the practice that I saw, the two practices I've seen since he became coach, is that he has become a a very good system. He, he's very good at, at putting his system in there and teaching the players how to play offense. The Nuggets under Shaw, basically all they did was defense. Literally all they did in practice was defense. And I've always been of the mind that defense is effort, and offense is execution. You have to you have to practice your offense. And I know that there's some old school coaches like Tom Thibodeau out there who think opposite. But the Nuggets' offensive execution under Brian Shaw was miserable, and you could tell because they you, they never practiced their offense. And I think that Wonder Melvin, if one thing he has done, if we're going to give him credit for, is that he has shifted the focus back to people who craved the offensive end. And he's given it back to them. And that is what you're seeing. You're seeing a team that really wanted to be great offensively and are now able to do so. I don't think it's necessarily a euphoria thing. I think that's part of it. But I'm not necessarily convinced that it will, quote-unquote, wear off. I think he's just created easier shots. He's creating, mm-hmm. you know, he's helping create you know, ball sharing, which leads to open threes. And he's, he wants guys to get to the rim, which obviously are the two shots you should be taking. Uh, but my thing that I liked what Melvin said recently was, Rudy Tomjanovic had to shower after games and change suits because he was so sweaty and active on the sideline. Yeah, and me- if Melvin's going to be like that, I mean, Rudy obviously hello, yeah. he was pretty successful. But so. Rudy also drove himself to uh, to drink. You, well, <laughs> but he, he he got to a point where it was unhealthy for him to be a head coach. Yeah, well, when uh, he was at the Lakers, when he had that heart thing yeah. or something like I mean, that. He was also a you know big time screamer kind of. Well, a look at George Carl. Look at his man. evolution as a head coach. I mean, almost got him fired because of me being an asshole, but. You know, George was a fiery, fiery, fiery guy, 
And then he somehow reached this Zen peace moment where it didn't even look like he was coaching anymore. And he's become a much calmer version of himself. And he's, and he's brought Fury's George out only when he has to. And I think it's actually more effective. Because if so. you're, if you're, if you're, if you're I, we're on radio, not video, but if you're up here, okay, with your emotions, my hand is way, way above my head. If you're up here with your emotions all the time, A, it's unsustainable, and B, it doesn't work anymore. You have to, as a head coach, you have, to, you have to measure your tone and then amp it up for effect when it's time to amp it up. And I think, too, you know, Melvin's, I think he's 45 years old. I mean, if they find a guy, he's obviously got to find his legs as a coach. And my hope would be that the organization would be willing to take another chance on a guy that, you know, impresses them. And I think it's hard, you know, it's getting harder and harder not to be impressed by Melvin from a fan aspect. I don't know what it's like on the inside and what, you know, Josh and Tim and even Stan or whomever else is involved in that decision. I don't know what they're looking for or what they're going to find, but, but God, I want them to really consider Melvin. Cause I'll tell you, I think yeah. he's got something special. And I'll tell you, forgetting the fact that the record six and three, he hasn't coached a bad game yet. Not not a single one. Even when they got their butts kicked against the Rockets, they were playing their fourth game in five nights. They were on a back to back. They played their team. hearts out. He's even made like the free yeah. JJ Hickson combo somewhat okay. Right. So I'm just saying, <laughs> I, I, like I said, which is I'm a not, miracle. I, I don't give a, I don't give a shit what the record is yeah. after 23 games. He could be 12 and 13. He could be. I mean, I'm sorry, he couldn't be 12 and 13. He could be 10 and 13 after 23 games. Okay, but um, if this effort sustains. For 23 games, I don't know how you look the fans in the eyes and not hire him. It would be hard. It would. It would. You would have to. You would have to Rest essentially say, "We don't care." Which well, I, don't I don't think that's true. I do. Well, I don't it, think the organization hard, yeah. can afford to do that. Not after this year. But they know. Tim knows. You know. Tim Connolly knows that the next. He, he's got two huge decisions to make, and he can't screw either one of them up. Coach and draft pick. Yeah. And it doesn't matter, Jeff, as and, you mentioned, uh, it doesn't matter if it's the fifth pick, the sixth pick, or the ninth yeah. pick. He cannot screw it up. It has to be, I'm not saying it has to be Paul George, who the Pacers stole with the 10th pick. I mean, that's a kind of a fluky thing, but it cannot be Tony Batie. And so, who actually had like a 14 year Yeah, you got it. You got yeah, yeah, it. What did, what did Issel say about Tony Batie recently? Yeah, he had a long, he had a, he had a long career. He didn't necessarily have a good career. Yeah, he may have had a, long, he may have had a longer career than Dan Issel, and he probably made 10 times the money. That's true. He's um, still low so, bust, though. So the joke's on us. Yes, but but I, I, Tim Connolly can't, can't miss on these next two decisions because. Not that he's not that Tim's necessarily made horrible decisions. I mean, he inherited a mess. And I think he's also um, learning too. Yes, but 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 um, you know he uh, he can't miss. He can't miss. And he yeah. You know. And I gotta say, I, I I wish that I wish the organization was a little more out in front on some things recently. I wish that we would have gotten a press conference from Josh um, and, and from Tim as well after they let Brian Shaw go. I thought it was important, you know, to get out in front of that to not have. You know, a guy that you had been saying, and you know, I applaud the Nuggets for saying this. Brian Shaw is our coach; he's going to be our coach next season. All of a sudden, he's not. We should have been, you know, fans should have been told why that decision was made. They shouldn't have had to face Melvin Hunt first, and then seen, you know, Tim Conley for a brief moment. I thought Josh should have been out ahead of that. I would kind of like to see, you know, a press conference. I think after the season or at some point where where we hear from Josh, we haven't heard from him since really since media day there's been a couple of, of quotes here and there but you know i think it's important to communicate with your fans and we can see it on our website our fans think it's important and, and it doesn't appear 
from an outsider's perspective that it's important to Josh. And if for no other reason, um, Josh is good at it. You know, he's the best salesman the Nuggets have when he chooses to communicate. And he, I agree with you 100%. He needs to do it more. He needs to get in front of these because he's good at it. You know, can you imagine James Dolan or Donald Sterling getting in front of their fans and doing a press conference? I mean, Josh, Josh should do it more. Well, you, you mean, if we're talking, you know, team presidents, I can see Masai Ujiri doing it. He did it. Masai was great at talking Masai for a long time. Yeah, but he was great, and he's still great at talking for a long time. And not saying anything. Well, yeah. <laughs> Jeff, Jeff beat me to the punchline. But, yes, uh, uh, you know, engaging you, captivating you, and telling you nothing. Yep. That's like, that's the NFL thing. But you, you did it in a more charismatic way. But it's like, yeah, let, let's talk for this filibuster, basically what it is. And let's talk until, you know, they have, they have nothing left to, to talk about. But, you know, listen, I, 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 if I'm completely convinced about who is actually making decisions over there, then I'll relax a little more. And I, I just, at this point, that's all I need. All I want to know is I want to know who is – in charge and who's making the decisions and and if Josh would uh, have a press conference last last night that like that I would love to hear it I really would. But it's also it's interesting you know because you have even I, I look at Sacramento because they're pretty out in the open. You have the owner Vivek, you have Pete Alessandro, you have Chris Mullen. Now you have George Carl in that mix. You know that's an that's an interesting dynamic of of voices and you know. I, same thing with the Nuggets, you know. We don't know all, all the players. I don't think of all, obviously, Josh and Tim, but, you know, how how much is Stan still involved in things? I mean, mm-hmm. a lot of people, you know, think we're hearing guys talk about on the radio. Stan wants Mike D'Antoni. Is that true? I don't know. Yeah. You know, does he have his his, uh, his hand in the cookie jar, so to speak? I don't, I don't know. But it would be, be interesting to know, and we'll probably never find out. But I just think it would be, it would be nice to hear from the organization from a fan standpoint. It would. And I, th- I think Andy, you would you know you would agree, even with Josh being the best salesman, you know he needs still needs to sell. But that's well, that's my whole point. That's why <laughs> me as a fan and and someone who's gotten to know Josh, uh, forget it for our sake as fans for his sake. I think that he, you know I, I look. I, I this is going to sound egotistical. I think I'm the best salesman for my business. No one's going to be more passionate about my business than me. And whether it's tracks, whether it's Jake's, whether it's the you know, the real estate stuff that I'm dabbling in, you know, I am I am passionate to the core about this, and I know Josh is like that uh, with the Nuggets, but he's got to get out there and sell it, and uh, but maybe by engaging with the fans like he has been doing recently, and and maybe by following Denver Stiffs, which they all say they don't do, but we all know they do, uh, you know, maybe by engaging with us more, we'll, we'll push him out there. And that will be to the benefit of the fans and to the organization. And I, I wonder too if. If you know the whole silent stand aspect, you know if, if he's being cautioned not to be too out in front. But I think at the same time, like you said, Andy, if the if the belief is there that he's a good salesman, you know I'm kind of on the fence on that. But if he was out there more talking, you endear yourself to the fan base, and suddenly they're rooting for you more to succeed instead of saying, you know that like we see with a, a good portion of fans, he's just some rich kid running this team, which is something that he needs to try to get out in front of, I think, as well and, and not have that label because I don't I don't hundred percent think he, I don't think he's that guy and I think it would be J- nice to Josh needs to instill trust and I don't think he has. And that's I think his biggest failing since he's been been in charge is that he's done a very poor job of instilling trust in people. 
and I think that he's going to learn, obviously, on it. But I, if I would want to, if Josh was sitting across the table from us right now, I would say the same thing. It was like, I don't trust you yet. And That's I, a good I, way I would say it. I, I wish that I did, but I don't because the actions haven't exactly been endearing, you know, so far. And we can talk all we want about uh, Masai's time in here, and he and Josh were in cahoots or whatever. But to be quite honest with you, the decision making has changed dramatically since Masai left. And obviously, you're wondering, like, if Masai Ujiri's gone, uh, how many decisions were made there? You don't know, as I said before, you don't know who's in charge. And you need to know, and you need to have that confidence. And that's where I'm at right now, is that I need to be able to trust Josh before I go forward in a completely open-hearted manner with him as the person in charge. Well, I'm not a mouthpiece for the Nuggets. Uh, All I can speak to the fact is I know he deeply and passionately cares about the team, wants to win. He wouldn't have been sitting with us on Monday night, which got us in trouble if he didn't care. Um, He's shown a lot of class. As far as the trust thing goes, uh, look, I'm not a mouthpiece of the Nuggets. Uh, trust is going to come in one form, and you know what that form Well, two forms, I would say. Winning and effort. And back to what we said at the outset of this podcast, you know, um, they've got to care more about the outcome than we do. And as long as that's the case, the trust will follow. And, uh, hey, look, they got two big decisions to make. I sound like a broken record, but get the coach right, get the pick right. Uh, as, as you guys both said earlier, there's, a, there's enough talent on this team. They could springboard right back into the postseason, but they can't fuck up those two decisions. Pardon my language. No, that's fine. Yeah, that works for me. All right, guys. Well, let's get the heck out of here. Taking the time, we're back. The Nuggets centric podcast. Yeah, sorry, guys. No, that's fine. That's what happens when you have me on. I know know we were we were anxious to talk about Rockies preseason baseball, but uh, you have to save that one for Les Shapiro. Some some Broncos. Have less on uh, some Broncos stuff. But Andy, thanks for hosting us. We're actually down in your office, and uh, we're looking at his memorabilia. Rhino is this called Rhino? Are we in the Rhino District? We are in the River North Art District, my home. Yes, there we go. All right. Well, we're here now, but who knows where we'll be next week. (laughs) 